God. Even when it's reenacted for us theatrically, it's beyond our ability to grasp it, to comprehend it, to really believe that it's true. And yet, God, you have told us that it really happened. And you've challenged us to not just believe it as a story, but to own it as something that could change our lives. The words of that song were so powerful. Your heart that that was broken, God, has the power to heal our broken hearts. Your scars, Lord Jesus Christ, healed through your resurrection. They reflect for us the truth that you paid the full price, that we can be healed and we can be forgiven. So in these next moments, I'm asking you, please, risen Lord Jesus Christ, would you help us to own it as true, as real in our lives? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 I want to dismiss the children, the little ones, up through grade four to some wonderful adults who are ready to teach you and help you understand and own the truth of Easter. And we're so glad for all the rest of you that you've decided to join our almost week-long celebration. It's almost been like a party of the risen Jesus Christ. A week ago it was Palm Sunday, and all that was a part of Palm Sunday here, Wednesday night, we had a friend from Chosen People Ministries, and he explained to us the meal that Jesus Christ had in the upper room with his disciples, the Seder meal. Thursday night in this room we watched the Passion of the Christ movie and had communion together as we remembered the excruciating agony that Jesus suffered for us. Friday night we had a bilingual service as our Hispanic church joined us and we worshiped in Spanish and in English and 14 people were baptized. It was a great, great time together, wasn't it? Yeah. And then last evening, as always, on Saturday evenings at 5 o'clock, we had our Saturday worship time, and it was very powerful. 7 o'clock this morning, some of you were still sleeping, but we had a sunrise service, and it was great. And then again at 9, and my goodness, here we are one more time. But would you consider that with all of that, what we're doing is we're joining what's been happening all around the world. Some of you know that I have a sister who lives in Hong Kong, and so every Sunday morning when I awaken, there's an email waiting for me telling me what Sunday was already like on the other side of the world. And in their little church in Hong Kong, there were 280 people this morning, and 14 people were baptized. Isn't that neat? In Hong Kong, China. So amen. So a question that I have for you, I wonder what has been in your life the most outrageous thing that someone ever told you that you were expected to believe. For me, it's Easter weekend. As I try to contemplate the truth of what the Bible says about Easter weekend, try to wrap my mind around that and and really believe it. I don't know about you, but it's almost more than I can understand, much less believe. But God says it's true, and for a few minutes we're going to look into God's Word and once again look at that Easter story. If you brought your copy of God's Word, would you open it, please, into Luke's Gospel. That's the third book in the New Testament, chapter 24. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there should be one under the chair there in front of you or near you. I think you'll find that on about page 749 or so. Every year here at Calvary, we have a theme verse, and our theme verse this year is one that actually has embedded into it The Easter weekend, I wonder if you can see it. You see, the first part of the verse says that you and I are each living a life 
that you might call your running a race. And God has marked it out for you. And God would like to help you as you live your life. And the best way God says to live it is fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There it is. There's Good Friday. Scorning its shame. And arisen, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? And that means that the risen, victorious Jesus Christ is big enough to help you with whatever the issues are in your life. Do you agree with that? I wonder if you'd agree with this statement. Uh, the initiatives of God into our world are miraculous. And every one of them is unique. No matter where it happens, no matter, no matter when it happens. Look at that real closely. Now put your name there. You are a unique miracle of God. Did you know that? When God was shaping and forming you inside of your mother's womb, even if you're a twin or a triplet, you're still unique. Amen? Aren't you glad? And then when God birthed you and has kept you alive, your life journey, nobody else on the planet has ever lived it. In other words, you're a miracle. And as we look at a room full of miracles, we have to then wrestle with the last part of that statement. <laughs> the initiative of God into our world is miraculous wherever and whenever it happens. So are you living life watching for the fingerprints which are the initiatives of God. Christmas is an initiative of God as God came here and lived among us. Good Friday is a miracle. It's an initiative of God. Uh, all of us will die. We will all depart. But Jesus' death was unique because of who it was who died that day. Would you agree? And there were two others who died, and they deserved to die. They were criminals. But He, God incarnate, when He died that day, what He accomplished is unique because it made it possible for you and for me to be forgiven of our sin because he took upon himself your sin and mine and God poured out his punishment, his wrath so you and I can be forgiven of our sin because the price has already been paid. Jesus paid it. The resurrection is unique. Nobody else has ever arisen from the dead and stayed alive and returned back to heaven and reigned. And so I wonder if you'd consider there with me in Luke 24 just a little bit of the explanation of what his resurrection is all about. Uh, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Why? Because in that culture at that time, uh, dead bodies were, were wrapped with spices and then very often additional spices, sweet-smelling spices were brought because sometimes the bodies were not buried like in this case or they were placed in a tomb and so as they decayed the smell that poured out of there they wanted to, shall we say, smother the smell a bit. And those ladies had seen where Jesus was buried. Luke tells us that in the last couple of verses of the preceding chapter. So they had come back early that next morning to continue the process of pouring spices over that body so that as it decayed, it wouldn't be such a pungent odor. But they knew there was a problem. They had watched two men roll the stone in front of the tomb. And they were two women. They couldn't possibly move it. You see what it says? But they found the stone already rolled away from the tomb. And that could really only mean one thing. Someone had come ahead of them to do what they had hoped to do. Unless, when they entered, verse 3, they did not find the body of Jesus. Unless 
a tomb robber had come and had pilfered the tomb, a grave robber, and had taken the body for whatever reason. Or, or maybe someone had come and taken the body to bury it somewhere else. They had no idea. And Dr. Luke tells us, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Angels. God had sent angels. Matthew tells us a very interesting perspective on it. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, as you know, and he tells us that those who had wanted Jesus dead had gone to Pilate to say, now that he's dead, let's make sure he stays dead. He had talked about raising from the dead, and, and his believers, his, his followers, believed that he actually might. We know that's impossible, and so what we think is going to happen is they're going to come in the night and steal his body and hide it someplace and claim that he actually rose from the dead. So, Pilate, we'd like you to make sure that doesn't happen. And Pilate said, as recorded in Matthew's account, you go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they posted a guard, at least two, probably four men, and they put the seal of Rome and the seal of the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, on that tomb. Nobody was going to touch it. But Matthew tells us that Easter morning, very early, a violent earthquake shook that part of the world. It's as though God said, you just are insistent, aren't you, human race, on me not helping you. <laughs> I, I made you, and I've given you life and breath, and I love you, and I've even come to live among you, and I did all the miracles, but you rejected my son. You, you, you hung him on a tree and killed him. You can refuse me, but you cannot force me to stop loving you, human race. I am determined to love you because I made you. And so it's as though God says, are you finished now doing everything you think you can do to stop me? Now watch this. Kaboom! And a violent earthquake shook. And then Matthew tells us, an angel of the Lord came from heaven here and pushed that stone away and then sat down on it and maybe just folded his arms and smiled <laughs> and said, how do you like that? Wow. When's the last time in your life uh, you found yourself pushing back against God? Hmm? You know what it feels like. I do too. <laughs> uh, you're walking down a path that, that you know is not God-honoring. Uh, you wouldn't want your spouse or your mother to know about it. But you keep going that way anyway. You're pushing back against God. Or you come to church on Easter and you hear a preacher talk about this and you say, it's just a story. Get over it, will you? You're pushing back against God. And all the while, amazingly, God is reaching inside of your chest and keeping your heart beating so you don't die right where you're sitting and keeping your lungs breathing. He loves you that much. And so look what the angels said to these two ladies. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember, he told you that. Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a powerful question. As some of you may know that I spent a good portion of this last week down in Haiti, the place where I grew up. My parents were missionaries there and the place that my wife and I lived and served as missionaries. And I had opportunity to go back this last week at the invitation of some of my very good friends to be there for Palm Sunday and to be a part of some other things. Haiti is one of those places like some other of the African nations where there's a great number of animists, which means they worship the spirits. They push back against God. And it's at this time of the year particularly, building up to Easter, you can hear it. 
Uh, they call it the rah-rah bands and the drums and the whistles and the chanting. It's no longer late at night in some dark corner place. It comes right out in broad daylight. The bands of people dancing and cheering and there's a great deal of demon possession there. I heard it every day when I was there. I was studying while I was there for our time together this morning and this phrase struck me because here's what I asked myself. Those people, I can hear them in the rah-rah bands. I wonder if I've seen some of them during the daytime walking along the road just like normal folks or in their shops like business people, normal people. I would have had no idea what's in their hearts but in the evening they push God out and they find themselves embroiled in the rah-rah. As I left Haiti to come back, I had several hours to sit in the Port-au-Prince airport and then several more in the Miami airport and then several more in the Chicago airport and I watched thousands and thousands of people from all over the world and I asked myself that question. And this thought occurred to me. When you look at a person, there is no difference in their appearance whether they have a spiritual heart that is alive because they know the risen Lord Jesus or spiritually they're dead. And they believe it's just a myth. And they've pushed me. There's no difference. And then I had this almost paralyzing thought as I sat in the airport. On Sunday morning, I'm going to be looking at hundreds of people. And I'm going to have the privilege of opening God's Word to you like I'm doing right now. And as I look all through the room, I can't tell who among us is alive spiritually because you have trusted in the truth of Easter. You've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And you know with confidence that if your heart stops beating right now, right where you're sitting, you'll be instantly in God's presence. And who among us thinks it's just a myth, just a story? And you're going on and living life, you think, but spiritually you're dead. And if your heart was to stop beating right now, you would be separated from God for all of eternity. Because Easter for you is just a myth. So as I, as I look into your faces, I, I have to ask, what do you think about the person sitting next to you? Alive or dead? You see, the miraculous truth is that Easter is God's offer to you and to me to be sure. You see, God is saying, I, I've, I've done it all. I, I, I created you and I gave you life. And I understand that in, in this world, you're, you're living life in a sinful world. And over and over again in your life, all of us, you've chosen a sinful path. But I love you so much that I've come to take care of that problem. And I've paid the price for your sin. I can't do anything more except let you choose. Do you want to live a living death? and then die and be eternally separated from the risen Lord Jesus? Or would you like to accept my offer of life? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Could I suggest that when you go to work tomorrow, or go to school, or when you're at the Walmart or the Home Depot walking, just take a look and see if you can tell the difference between the living and the dead. Because they're going to be everywhere you are. In every group of people, there will be some who are spiritually alive. And I can pretty well guarantee you that unless you're sitting in church like this, they will be far outnumbered by those who are actually spiritually dead. But today, that can change for any and for all of us. Isn't that true? Isn't that what Easter is all about? 
Any day can be the day where it changes for you. Look, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in the Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified, and on the third day he will be raised again. And they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. The eleven disciples became apostles when Jesus sent them out to tell the rest of the world. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Isn't that true? Miracles are nonsense. Let's be honest. If it made sense, it wasn't a miracle. (laughs) If you could figure it out, if you could reproduce it, if you could do it, it wouldn't be a miracle. (laughs) Isn't that true? Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Miracles create a new reality, leaving humanity to decide what do we do with the evidence of God's presence and God's power. Look at that closely. Isn't that true? You remember dads in the room when you held your newborn child for the first time? A miracle. And you looked at that little baby afraid you were going to drop it. Remember that? Uh, That's how I felt. And and you wondered, this is the product of of me and my spouse? How could this happen? (laughs) You remember when you entrusted your daughter to be married to a man? How frightening that felt. What are the examples in your life of the miracles that have happened that are the evidence of the presence and the power of God? And what do you do with that? You see, there's really only two choices. (laughs) You can pass it off as it's a mystery. I can't explain it. Or you can embrace it as God has just reached into my world and touched me powerfully with something I can't explain. Isn't that true? There's no in-between. So how do you move from a mystery to a miracle? You see, Easter is a mystery for most of the people alive in our world today. I think the answer is in the very next verse. Look, Peter, verse 12. Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. The first step in moving, my friends, from a mystery to a miracle is to get up and take a faith step. The Bible is filled with the stories of people who were invited by God to take great faith steps. And when they did, miracles happened. Isn't that true? You remember the stories from your Sunday school days over and over and over again. (laughs) Daniel, I'll be with you, even in the lion's den. Trust me, take a faith step. Peter, step out of the boat and walk on the water. Take a faith step. Mary, you're going to have a son, but you're not going to know a man. Be it unto me, as you have said, take a faith step. If Easter for you is a mystery, could I invite you today to decide to take a faith step? How do you do that? You say, God, open my mind to begin to understand your truth. A faith step starts with opening your mind to be willing to recognize God is doing a miracle. But it's more than that. Uh, Look, my dear friends, if you flip over to verse 36 of chapter 24. 
You see, that evening all the disciples were together. They were still in shock. What happened here? And they were talking about Easter, and suddenly the risen Jesus Christ stood among them, <laughs> visually, physically in front of them, and he says to them, Peace be with you. They were startled, as you and I would have been, verse 37, and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise up in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and blood, as you see I have. You'll find that if you take faith steps towards God, God will respond and he'll take steps toward you. And he will show himself miraculously. Oh, I don't mean by that that you will physically see the risen Jesus Christ. You will see the evidence of God. You'll see his fingerprint. You'll see the miracles of God all around you. Once you open your mind to recognize that it's not mysteries, it's miracles. And once you open your heart to experience them, you'll find that God is wanting to do miraculous things in your life. You may be sitting here today with a broken heart. Relationships haven't worked. The people who should have loved you didn't. And your heart is just simply broken. The song that the ladies sang before call us to recognize that God understands a broken heart. How do you suppose he felt when we, the human race, rejected Jesus and hung him on a tree like a side of beef? Huh? He understands a broken heart. And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is an evidence of the kind of power that God is ready to unleash in healing your broken heart. Isn't that true? And maybe you're here and you struggle with an addiction, and you know it. An addiction means you can't help yourself. Once that urge stirs up in you, you can't stop going down the path of satisfying that addiction. If the chain breaker can, heal Jesus, can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, don't you suppose he can take care of that addiction problem? Yes, absolutely yes. Take a step of faith and invite him to break the chain. You see, you move toward a miracle with a step of faith. You move into the miracle with an encounter with God, and he'll encounter you in response to your step of faith. Do you believe that, my friends? I hope you do. Because if you don't, you can't move from a mystery to a miracle. If it's just a story, if God doesn't heal broken hearts, if God isn't powerful enough to break addictions, then you're going to stay in the mystery side. You'll never move over to the miracle side. It takes a change of your mind and a change of your heart to step toward God and let him do that miraculous work in your life. Isn't that true? But, but then I, I see another one. Uh, look at verse uh, 45 in that same chapter. He opened, Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Do you see that? They took a step of faith. He responded and he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the generations and all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You move from a mystery to living the miracle as you step into a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. When he becomes your Savior and your Lord, and he starts doing that miraculous work in you, and then with him you continue living the rest of your life journey, experiencing the miracle. Oh, now it's moved from a mystery 
to a personal miracle. That's what happened to, to these disciples. They met with him frequently, the risen Lord Jesus. Several times the Bible gives us those stories. And then he commissioned them out. And then he returned back to heaven. And the first message that Peter preached, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, he says, Jesus Christ is arisen, and we are witnesses. We've seen him with our own eyes. He has changed our lives. They were living the miracle. First, steps of faith toward God helps you move from mystery to miracle. Second, God's response then is he works in you and you have an encounter with God. Oh, that helps you experience the miracle. Then third, as Jesus Christ really becomes your Savior and your Lord and you deepen your relationship with him, now you're living the miracle. And then fourth, miracles love to be reproduced. You can actually reproduce the miracle as you share it. Look at verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. You stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus promised he would send. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, and you're living this miraculous relationship with Jesus Christ, then as you tell your story to other people, they start to move from mystery to miracle. Isn't that true? And the wonderful thing is every single one of you has a story. As you have come to trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior, as you've seen him do that life-changing work in you, as he has healed your broken heart, as he's broken those addictions, as he has changed you from who you were to who he's designed you to be, you have a story to tell, right? And as you tell the story, mysteries become miracles to other people who start to take faith steps. And they start to have encounters with God. And they experience Jesus Christ. Do you see how it reproduces? Now I have a closing question. I've explained to you how you can move from Easter just being a mystery to Easter being a miracle. But is it possible that you can go the other way? That you go from the miracle becoming just a mystery? Is it possible that you've had an experience, an encounter with God in your life. But it was so long ago, and there's so much water that's gone under the bridge, and so many things that have happened in your life that now you're looking back and you're saying, I'm not so sure anymore. It's just a mystery as I look back. Three words you might want to jot down in your notes that aren't there for you. How that happens. First, a miracle drifts to becoming a mystery when you get bored with God. When lots of other things get, are lots more exciting. And the things of God, the miracles of God, the Word of God, the power of God just starts drifting further and further down the priority list for you and your adrenaline rush comes from lots of other places. That's how a miracle moves to just being a mystery. Or a second one, doubt. You're rushing through life so fast and the miracle was back there and it starts to fade in your memory. You don't remember the details. You don't remember what happened back there in that powerful healing moment when God touched you. And so you start to doubt, did it ever really happen? Or is it just a figment of my imagination? Or another one? Forget. All of us have that problem of forgetting. It's not a dementia thing. It's a human thing, <laughs> right? 
And our lives can get so busy with so many things and we're so focused on looking forward on what's next on our calendar that we spend so little time remembering those powerful, miraculous experiences with God. Those of you who are part of the Calvary family, you know that one of the ways I help my all-too-forgetful mind remember is I collect stones. I pick up a stone off the ground when I've had a powerful encounter. I brought two stones back from Haiti with me this time, from this last week. Last Sunday when you were here in this beautiful place, I was up the top of a mountain where I'd never been before, a little place called Riviere de Neg. <laughs> oh, my. There was only about 60 people in the place, and my guess is most of them couldn't read or write. But could I tell you, God was there. Oh, my. God was there. They were meeting in a, in a building that's fairly new. And they're trying to collect money to build a school because the, the little school building, the only school on the whole mountainside next door, had collapsed in the earthquake. So I picked up a little piece of what was left of that little school building and I brought it back with him. I want to remember Riviere de Neg, even though I may never ever have a chance to go there again. And I'm going to have a picture put in my office to remember that place. Because on Palm Sunday, 2012, I was in a place that none of you will probably ever see, but God was there, and those people loved Jesus. You see, if you don't remember, the miracles of the past in your life could just become mysteries, faded off into the distance. Would you agree with that? Men, that's why we wear wedding bands. And I wonder uh, how many of the women are, are in the room and saying, quick, ask my husband what our anniversary date is. He'll probably forget. He'll say, 27 years when it's actually 30. <laughs> it's not just us men, is it? It's all of us. Very significant moments in our lives. If we don't intentionally remember, if we allow other things to be far more important if you get bored with God, the miracles will just become mysteries. If you start doubting the reality of what happened back there in your life, the miracles just become mysteries. And if you don't remember and hold on to them, you likely will not take future faith steps toward God. And when you don't, you won't have encounters with God. And when you don't, you won't be living the miraculous power of a living relationship with God. And if you don't, you won't have a story to share, to tell to anybody else, and so it won't multiply. Do you see, my friends, how critically important it is for you to decide, Easter, is it just a mystery, or is it a miracle ready to happen in your life? Why don't we talk to him, the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. I am speaking to you because I am absolutely confident you are alive. You're back in heaven from which you had come, and you're reigning sovereign and supreme over the world, and you're keeping me alive and breathing right now, and I'm grateful, and I'm grateful for all of these, my friends. And Lord Jesus Christ, I'm grateful that you can look into each of our minds and our hearts, and you can tell for every one of us in this room for how many of us is Easter just a mystery? For how many of us is it a miracle? And we've had other miracles, but they've drifted in the past, and we haven't held tightly to them. So we haven't had one in a long time. Right now, right where you sit. Right now, right where you sit. Could I invite you, my friend, have a conversation with God. He made you, and he loves you.
And he knows everything that's going on in your life. And he's ready to do miraculous things in your life. He's waiting for you to take a faith step. He's waiting for you to reach to him. He's waiting for you to acknowledge you need his miraculous work in your life. And if you'll do that, he promises he will respond and you will have an encounter with God. And that's why, Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as we close this Easter service. Confident, you are at this moment ready to work in the lives of hundreds of people waiting for us to take a step toward you. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name.